You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. All right, everybody, welcome back to episode 111 of Here for the Truth. Damn, one, one, one. One. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, I'm Joel Rafidi. I got my co-host Erasmus in the building. We have Dr. Pran Yoganathan in the house. What are you laughing at? I don't know, dude. I'm just making me laugh for some reason. <laughs> we got Dr. Pran in the house, and we have an awesome conversation here. He is a gastroenterologist. Um, he's someone who's very passionate about regenerative farming, um, about diversity within the soil, about the potential of humanity about self-empowerment, and we have a very broad esoteric conversation, which I think is very, very, very important um, for everyone to hear. Right before we get Dr. Pran on, just want to remind everyone that applications for Rise Above the Herd round five are now open. We take 12 students only. This will sell out just like all previous um, four runs. Many applications are coming in. Um, This is basically... Our group coaching program, which we created for truth seekers to step into potential, um, to stop choosing ignorance, to face their shadows, to face their darkness, but more importantly, to cultivate real self-love and to really honor who they are on the deepest levels, to not only know what they value and know what their dream is, but to feel competent within themselves, to take those steps and to walk that path and to reclaim their power. So if you're interested in going on that eight-week journey with us, which starts March 27. Um, please head to riseabovetheherd.co and submit an application. And once you do that, you'll be invited to join us for a 20-minute call to discuss um, if we're a fit to work together and how we can move forward. Guys, thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. Um, you know, we're just a couple of dudes that started having conversations and we never thought that we'd be here 111 episodes later um, you know, having created all the things that we've created and living the lives that we're living and getting to do this literally every single day for a living. I know how I felt when we recorded episode one. I know, I know my mindset back then. And, you know, this wasn't on the cards, but step by step, you chip away, you keep doing the thing, you be consistent, um, you choose truth over integrity. And, you know, that's how miracles truly do happen. So none of it would be possible if it wasn't for you listening here right now. So I want to honor the individual and say thank you. And without any further ado, here's Dr. Pran. Enjoy this episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. We have an incredible guest today. We have Dr. Pran in the house. Um, He is a gastroenterologist who believes the current systems are hopelessly broken. He believes we confuse nourishment with consumption, lust with love, self-worship with self-respect, diversity with vulgarity, power with tyranny. And most of all, we outsource healing to a system that does not care about the individual. Thus, we remain fragmented and broken instead of complete and incoherence. Um, beautiful words there, my bro. Mm. Such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for being here for the truth. Thanks a lot, Joel. And uh, I appreciate you both having me on. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to join you here from Sydney, Australia. Awesome, man. My old, the old stomping grounds as of two weeks ago, three, three weeks ago. <laughs> Very jealous. One way we really like to kick these off, especially with new guests, is I want to know about you, man. Like, what are the major rites of passage that you experienced? Give us a brief breakdown of your hero's journey that really transformed you and allowed you to be the human being that you are here today. 
Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, look, I've had an interesting, interesting history, and I've spoken about it um, on occasion, not not all that much. But I was uh, born in Sri Lanka. My parents were, were a Sri Lankan uh, family that migrated very early. But I was born into a, a civil war in in Jaffna, Sri Lanka, which was an interesting time to be born. So I was born into a world where there was a massive uh, sympathetic drive in the community that, that that I grew up in because obviously we're surrounded by um, massive civil war chaos um, and and just the loss of human life. Um, my father was a dentist there um, so we we were quite we were quite comfortable um, and um, you know during times of the army raids and whatnot where there'd be uh, bombing over the um, what were known as the resurgent, Fighters, the Tamil Tigers, they were called. You guys might be familiar with them. Um, a lot of people from the neighbourhood would would come to our house because it was the biggest, and we had the biggest underground bunker and and so forth. And uh, it was an interesting experience, mate. And as a child to be born into that, um, you don't know any better, really. So I I, I kind of I thought this was life, um, and um, you know we witnessed a lot of horrible things um, growing up, and and I learned the concept that life could be very, very cheaply lost. You know, human life could be very cheaply lost. I learned the power that governments have over its constituents um, and, and, the, um, and, and the tyranny that can exist with, with governments. And that, that was, that, that was my, my, my childhood. And then it got to a point where the armies were rapidly encroaching within that community and the Tamil Tigers were well known for drafting in uh, boy soldiers or, or children soldiers. Um, in fact, they were the they were one of the first um, uh, groups to do that, and um, you know, and they would they would encourage these children to 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 be suicide bombers and things. So it was really a death sentence for a lot of children. Um, so my father and mother obviously recognised that, and we fled. We we jumped out of the frying pan into the fire and arrived in Nigeria, which was another country plunged into into civil chaos. Um, so, but that was the only opportunity we had to, to, to go somewhere. You know, it's not easy getting a visa or something like that in um, on short notice. So we spent uh, many years in Africa, both in Nigeria and Zimbabwe, and that was a pretty cool childhood as well. Uh, but again, saw a lot of saw, saw a lot of adversity. It was around the time that HIV and AIDS was becoming an issue. And obviously back then there was no treatment. And in Africa, many parts of Africa, there is still no treatment for, for that horrible um, uh, disease. And, and so, again, just witnessed a lot of adversity. And finally, mate, we, we got the opportunity to migrate to New Zealand. And um, I grew up in New Zealand, trained, did all my medical training there, and, and then moved over to Australia as a 21-year-old junior doctor. And uh, I've been here 20 years. Um, Australia and New Zealand, um, I'm very, very grateful. For, for what they provided um, in terms of a bit more stability. Um, but it's been interesting to watch the changes happening here politically and at a, a societal level in the last five years, three to five years, um, a bit of a, a bit of a change, uh, as you might you guys might have noticed. Um, and um, I continue to practice here as a, as a gastroenterologist. I'm a, I'm a gut specialist, specialist of the gut. And the, and the gut's an interesting organ because... Once you get a, a deeper understanding of it, you realise how it relates to almost every system in the body. 
um, even even our brains. And um, uh, that's kind of led me down the pathway of how, how do we best heal, right? And uh, I don't think the current systems that we've got in place, as per the introduction that you read, uh, which were my words this morning, that um, I don't think they're best suited to, to self-heal. And uh, this is what we're trying to teach people as a group. We're there's a bit of a movement uh, down here in Australia and in other parts of the world where we where we espouse the concept that you don't need a degree to heal. You know, you can you can self heal, and it really is the domain of the individual rather than of uh, of the medical system. When did you when did you start getting more open to let's say more alternative elements of of health? You know, you've gone through. Um, I would say a more conventional allopathic system, but your views are different than the average MD. Um, look, it's a great question. I, I was always um, fascinated with logic, right? Like in school, what I excelled at was mathematics. Um, I tended to do really poorly in all the other subjects, primarily because I wasn't interested. It just simply didn't interest me at all. So logic always made sense. Now, most people that come from these subcontinental backgrounds, such as myself, it is a great honour to, to do medicine, right? Yeah. So you know, you reward your parents sometimes by getting into these fields. And I I wanted to do something for my parents because obviously they've been through tough times, made many sacrifices. They were great, great parents. And, and, And so me getting into medicine wasn't because I was particularly passionate about it. It was sort of like, well, I'm going to do it to, to show my parents um, how thankful I am and, and to kind of just prove to myself that I could do it. Obviously, medicine's a challenging field to get into. Um, had it been different, I was pursuing my passion, I would have done something with mathematics, you know, whatever that is, whether that was finance or actuary or or something like that, accounting, I, I don't know. But um, when I found myself in medicine, and I, I was in medical school pretty early, I would have been probably closer to 16 um, because I was accelerated pretty rapidly through school. It just I felt very very uneasy with the with the teaching systems. I, I really didn't fit into medical school. I mean I got through and so forth, but I've always felt a little bit um, what's the term for it out of place within the medical industry. I never could relate to the people that were within it either. You know everyone seemed very very happy to follow rules, but there was very little questions being asked of well is this stuff right? I mean, I mean this these these words that we've been taught, the science, I mean, that are we really addressing root cause? So um, I've always been a chap who's been uneasy within the system, I suppose. Um, but I think it would have been about my mid-30s, I just noticed my own health deteriorating despite following the eating guidelines that, that we've been taught to eat, which is grains and more grains, minimise your meat intake, you know, avoid dairy, um, you know, avoid eggs. And I was doing all of this and it's just watching my health um, slowly deteriorate. And I thought, well, look, I've got to do something about it. And, and I just started looking at alternative systems, started understanding nutrition better, primarily to heal myself and my father as well, who'd become a type 2 diabetic despite following all the eating guidelines. Um, it was basically hitting rock bottom with my own personal health and understanding that my family history was full of people that died of heart disease and, and type 2 diabetes and so forth. It was primarily that that pulled me out um, of that system. And I, what, I, what I learned when I came out, came out the other end was that a lot of what we're taught about nutrition, how to heal, is, is out of keeping with what is really needed in the real world to, um, to, to, to kind of um, disconnect from the medical system. Mm. Why... 
just from a philosophical standpoint or just an observation in the world based on everything you've experienced and learned, why do you think that is? Why do you, why does it seem like we live in an inverted world where, you know, down is up, left is right, you know, the truth is hidden and what is being promoted, especially in these government um, recommendations for nutrition just seems like the complete opposite to health. Sure. I think to understand that, I think we need to, we need to unpack what existence is. My my understanding of existence on a philosophical level and potentially on a on a on a scientific level as well is that that we do best with decentralized systems. Like nature in itself, the universe in itself is a is a decentralized network. And put simply, anything that that becomes centralized, and, and there are advantages to centralization, don't get me wrong. But over time, centralization rots from within. It fundamentally decays the system. Now, when you think about it, the, the very grease that runs our society, our monetary system, right, the, the grease that runs every day, the, the, the wheels of society, uh, when you talk about deep, deep centralization, corruption, um, secret tax levied about, about the people through monetary printing and quantitative easing, you realise the very grease that runs society is corrupted, and and this is why the system decays. So, in a sense, centralisation over time, with or without its advantages, must collapse itself. And I think that is what we're witnessing. I think we're seeing rampant corporate capture of of um, you know dietary guidelines in America. And I think there's been plenty of literature published on that. We've got sugar lobbies with so much money. That they can lobby politicians and influence uh, eating guidelines. I don't think the doctors themselves or the, or the medical system themselves are completely aware of this. We, we're just obedient um, soldiers um, that, that are trained by this curriculum that is uh, designed to keep us in the dark, I believe. Yeah. Did you find, like, as you've been speaking out more over the years and gone on your own journey, like, pushback from colleagues or just people that kind of ignored you or maybe they sent you private messages saying, hey, I agree with you, but I don't want to speak out because of X, Y, Z? Not so much colleagues. Um, I think over time I've just attracted a clientele the kind of um, that are my own tribe, if, if you know what I mean. Uh, I guess if you're vocal enough, over time people take, take, take notice and start to listen. Um, and, and that's been great. My patients have been fully supportive, and I think I've, I've, um, um, I'm, I'm very blessed in that way. With regards to my colleagues, I'm, I'm absolutely flabbergasted at how many of them um, fundamentally just think that that what I'm talking about is is just pure rubbish. I mean, it's in the realm of conspiracy theory. Um, that that many of them think that look, Pran's just lost his mind. Um, they, I hear about it, you know, they talk about it behind my back and, and so forth. I've got pretty tough skin, so it's more of a duck's back. But um, it, it, it's really surprising. And, and, and that wonderful quote, I can't remember who it's by, but when a man's salary is dependent on him mm. not being it, 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 they really don't want to see it. And, and you've got to remember, medicine is one of the most highly remunerated fields. Like we've been the top 0.1%. Um, of of the population in terms of what we earn, and um, you know, there's so much sacrifice to that you go through 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 school, through university to get to where you are, and uh, most of them, I think, fear just self-destructing on the on the basis of principles. 
um, and what's right. And I think many of them would just rather keep their um, mouth shut and eyes closed and crack on with the system that that um, has existed probably for the last hundred years. Yeah. Yes. You brought up one of my fa- one of my favorite quotes is Upton, Sin- Upton Sinclair. And, and it can be applied to so many industries that you see where someone goes into it and they're making a certain living and and then they maybe are realize certain aspects of it, but they're into d- deep, like they have too much skin in the game. And it takes a certain person of a psycho-emotional fortitude to go, well, no, the truth is what matters. And if I have to go through some trials and tribulations and I have to recreate my life in a certain way, then I'm going to do that because that's what matters most. Like, again, it's up to each individual. I'm not here to knock someone who's making a certain choice for whatever reason. But when the truth is what you're aligned with, then, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy. And you have to you have to kind of continue that hero's journey. So, you know, obviously, I commend you for that, brother. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. And it's always important to remember that that one can get get caught in their own silos and these silos can become echo chambers and and you could you could believe that what you're saying is fundamentally the truth, but I think um, it's just about keeping your mind open and reading widely and um, and and reading um, beyond what 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 media and 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 the newspapers want to want to tell us. You know, like we're, we're you know one of the things that I've said about the medical industry because I can't speak for any other industry, but particular about, about the medical industry when when you when you select for people that are conformists, right, you're very unlikely to get any creativity out of them. And uh, this is what I realised about a lot of my medical colleagues, that a lot of them were conformists. They will conform to the greatest authority. So they create um, they create portraits or masterpieces that are, that are devoid of any form of creativity. Um, whereas as, as a species, we're a very creative, um, autonomous, decentralised being, you know, and, and and we should have the ability to create. I'm not saying protocols don't have their place, but when you've gotten into a situation where protocols rule entire communities and societies, then you've got an issue because you get the rise of something that I like to call technocracy, which is the use of science to rule. Uh, and I think that that's what we find ourselves stuck in. Then um, technocracy is a form of autocracy and autocracies have got no place in, in a free society. Well said, man. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's really how the system gets their claws in you, right? They offer you incentives for comfort and convenience. And we've we've chewed it up our entire lives. We've been conditioned to um to seek comfort um over 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 tribulation, over trials, over going through major rites of passage ourselves to discover the true strength and power of the individual. So I want to ask you this question. In your opinion, this, the answer doesn't necessarily have to be tied to purely diet or anything anything else, but what is required for true health? Okay, so uh, it's a great question. It's a broad question, Joel. Mm-hmm. Uh, any living system that has spent millions, if not billions of years evolving is best suited to the environment in which they evolve in, right? And we spent many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years, right, when you consider the pre-human species that preceded us as, as hunters, fundamentally, scavengers and hunters. And this diet, when you think about how much fat 
and DHA, which is a type of omega, um, omega, omega-based polyunsaturated fat, it fundamentally unlocked the power of our brain, right? And the brain's a, a highly fatty organ. So you get this situation where you've got this enormous brain growth and um, and drive for better nutrition leading to our intelligence. And we owe our cognitive abilities to the scavenging and the hunting that preceded us, okay? So 10,000 years ago, something critical occurs where humans all around the world are all about the same time, really, within a few hundreds, maybe a few thousand years of each other, which isn't long when you consider our, our history, all start farming. And we get this thing called the agrarian revolution, where we start becoming less dependent on meat and more dependent on grains, but still very much um, consuming high levels of meat, which I think is critical for good health. Now, we still remain healthy, but our health did regress. I mean, you can see that in the fossil records, you get these robust skeletons before agriculture versus post-agriculture where you see more issues with dentition, thinner bones, shorter statures. But what the agrarian revolution allowed us to do, it stopped us from being nomadic wanderers following herds of animals, right, and allowed us to build civilization. From civilization came the great religions, you know, legal code, mathematics, art, music, all of this, all of this sort of stems from the agrarian revolution. So I think that's a good compromise, is it not, that we give away a little bit of health to gain everything that that humanity has got now. But in the last 50 to 100 years, we've started seeing some major changes in the way we farm. We've, especially in the last 30 years, we've seen pesticides, we're seeing um, you know, industrial agriculture, we're seeing foods out of season, we're, we're seeing foods flown from one part of the world to to another you know when you start getting avocados from from mexico in australia or america you 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 know that there's something's out of out of whack here and so we've got food out of season and in addition to all of this we've got these overused soils right so the thing just to cut a long story short to that elegant question asked me health stems from the soil and and that's the realization i've come to the nutrition that we consume comes from the soil. The diversity of our microbiome, which is the gut bacteria that live within us, come from the diversity of the soil. So when you over-pillage and over-farm soil without adding back in, you, you run into issues with health. And you combine that with a society that, that craves um, uh, the easy route or convenience um, and we're all stressed out of our brains trying to, to pay off these huge mortgages, which means that cortisol is completely, you know, constantly being fired. Um, you, you've, got, you've got a recipe for, for disaster. So health is basically a disconnect from the natural order, Joel, to, to answer your, your um, question. Yeah, well said. Right before you said that last line, I was going to say, I feel like to sum it up is, how can one individual align with nature um, more easily? Because I feel like we've gone so far away from that. And even just this whole idea of smart cities and living in urban environments. I mean, there's some benefits in some ways, but there there are kids that are that are growing up now that if you showed them a carrot, they wouldn't even know what it was, you know, because they they don't know what a garden is. They just see these these food items in packages after they've been like cut up 
or peeled or, or changed a shape. You know, it, it's pretty it's pretty mind blowing to me. Yeah, I agree. And I think it all stems back again to the monetary system. When you've got money that is kind of unplugged from value, right? It's not backed by anything of value where government and central banks in particular, not government, but central banks and just print this. You eventually over time, you, you end up with, um, with reduction of prosperity of the population and wealth starts to concentrate um, right at the very top. Um, when you've got money without value, it's just the nature of it. It's called the Cantillon effect, where where if you've got a money printer, which is the central banks, the people closest to the money printer, which are corporations, politically connected individuals, wealthy families, they're the ones that get first access to the money. The money that is newly printed flows down to the to the population, to the masses, um, at a very later point when all the assets have already been accumulated and all the wealth has already been accumulated. And over time, as you know, that type of printing of money leads to inflation. It robs people of their borrowing power. Like, say, for instance, um, Mrs. Jones was earning 60000 a year to support her family. Over time, that 60000 a year very rarely changes. However, the inflation that, that precedes it basically robs Mrs. Jones of a, of a borrowing power. So what happens? She has to work harder. She's more stressed. She can't afford the nutritious foods. I mean, when you think about what happened here in Australia, Beef at one point was inflated 40%. It was the most inflated good. And uh, beef is superfood, and I've always kind of maintained, especially well-grown beef or well-raised um, cattle. Um, it, it all relates back to a monetary system that's thick, and it and it basically over time just robs people of not just wealth but of their health as well, sadly. Is there a correlation between the dilution of the value of money and the dilution of the quality of the soil? Um, yeah, absolutely. Great, great question. Um, without doubt, Joe, like if, if, if your aim is profit, it's all about turnover. It's all about mass consumption, right? It's not about producing quality. In addition, when you combine that with hyper palatability, right? When, you, when, you're, when you're able to drive through a McDonald's and order a burger, which has the right mix of carbohydrate, the right mix of fats, right? And um, you combine that with things like chips and stuff. What, what we're over time selecting for is a meal that is poorly nutritious but hyper palatable, right? So there's very little nutrition, but there's hyper palatability. And most of this younger generation, because they've grown up in the era of McDonald's and drive-throughs and KFCs and whatnot, this is this is what they this is normalized for them, right? So the quality of the soil is is um, very rarely produces food. Um, at bulk, if, if you know what I mean. It, uh, whereas the way it's all geared at the moment, it's all geared for mass consumption. So part of part part of my my argument, some people might say, is romantic. Can we really feed eight billion people without um, without the use of something like um, fertilizer and 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 uh, pesticide and so forth? And, and that's a valid question. You know, even in my home country of Sri Lanka. They decided that they were going to, this was very recent, they decided they were going to trial green agriculture where basically all pesticides were banned and the farmers just had to go back to the way we used to farm, you know, 100 years ago. And there was mass starvation. There was a 30% reduction in crop, right? And so people starved, people people suffered. So the current system is very much geared for crop-based farming, I think what we need to gravitate towards is more nutrient-dense foods, and, and this is the power of beef. Like one animal, one cow could feed an entire family for about a year, right? 
versus um, crop-based agriculture, which is a lot of calories, sure, but um, you need a lot of land to be able to, um, land and water and resources to be able to feed people with with grain. Yeah, B- back to what you said. Um, do you think just making a blanket decision to cut out all pesticide use, that there wasn't like a transitionary period, like people maybe don't know how to regeneratively farm, you know, so you can't just say, hey, we're going to take out these inputs and then expect expect everything to be to be better. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, like, absolutely, absolutely. There has to be a period of stewardship, a period of transition. If we're going to go down this regenerative route, one, I think we need to acknowledge that that meat is a food that is critical for humans. It is highly satiating. It is not hyperpalatable. It is very nutrient dense. It is a great form of sustenance for human sustenance for human beings. That's the first acknowledgement, right? Instead of what we see from a lot of health bodies that meat causes heart disease, meat causes bowel cancer, meat causes global warming. So if you transition people through societal conditioning away from that, you get people gravitating towards crops. So that's number one. We've got to acknowledge the role of meat in human evolution and human health. And secondly, we need we need stewardship. We need we need uh, mentorship for these farmers because we've forgotten how to farm. And that sounds terrible, like a, a doctor sitting here and 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 judging our farmers as they do a hard job, a very difficult job. But that's the reality of it. We've forgotten the lost. Uh, we've forgotten the art of regenerative farming, which is the way farmers did it uh, a few hundred years ago, and certainly how it arose ten thousand years ago. These inputs that we've got, fertilizer and pesticides, it's all about bulk. It's all about about calories. But we're a species that is that is overfed with calories, but undernourished with nutrients, right? And that's why we've got obesity, we've got type 2 diabetes. There's too many calories, too little nutrients. And that's what it fundamentally comes down to. But you're right, we need we need uh, many, many years of transition, probably a decade transition away from that and slowly condition um, or, or slowly teach people what, what real nutrition is about. And, and I, I truly believe that ruminant animals like cows are all part of the equation because not only are they great for nutrients for human beings to sustain themselves, they're great for the land. You know, their their hooves till the the soil. They they keep you know they manage land. They add back nutrients through their fecal matter and and um, organic material. That it, it's just a no brainer. Regenerative rotational farming. It is the future. However, the forces at play, the globalist forces at play, are very much stacked against it. Yeah. And you mentioned decentralization. I think, and this has been my argument to that question of like, how can we feed everyone? And it's like, it shouldn't be some centralized area's responsibility to feed everyone. If we move back to a decentralized world where local communities have this knowledge of regenerative farming, then they can focus on their local communities, you know? So just be a bunch of different places as opposed to like five companies that control all the, the beef that's sold or the factory farm beef or whatever the case may be in, in the U.S., you know you know what I mean? So I, I think we need to go back to that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And again, um, I don't want to harp on about it too much, it, it, but that cantillon effect um, from our monetary system, it, it just results because these people, these powerfully connected corporations are so close to the money printer, um, they just grow. They just grow rapidly. And uh, over time, they just centralise even more. It really comes down to money. I think when when the root of money is uh, is corrupted and 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 evil, I think it it 
it affects society in a way where um, where it's detrimental for our species long term. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I don't know what year it was. Uh, I think it came out. I watched it when it came out. Food Inc. Uh, it was a movie from like two thousand. It was a documentary from two thousand and seven. That kind of went into this whole idea that wh- when did this change happen? Like when did we go from like we have to make everything cheaper, faster? and move towards a centralized world when it comes to, um, you know, these, these subjects and food. And, and um, I remember reading that like these huge companies like McDonald's, you know, they had so much buying power. And so that, that had such an influence on, on how the slaughterhouses were doing business and how certain farms were doing business in terms of like providing tomato or providing grains or providing lettuce. And so they kind of like, Changed the game completely. That's right. Borrowing power instead of buying power, they've got enormous borrowing power because of of, of their closeness to to um, to the banks, and uh, that's what it fundamentally comes down to. It's a debt based system, and and they just borrow and um, and and service that debt quite easily, especially when you've got cheap cheap money and interest rates are very low and have been low for many years. Even though they're rising, they're still relatively low. Um, uh, I think that's that's what it comes down to. And over time, uh, it's not just it's just not just borrowing power, power, but that money starts influencing public health decisions. Right when you start influencing nutritional guidelines, then you've got a major issue. Um, you know, the nutritional guidelines have somehow blended whole food red meat with a hamburger. Do you know what I mean? Like in that category, you've got a grass-fed finished steak. With a hamburger, you know that things have gone really wrong with public health decisions. It feels like there's been such a huge connect in a single generation because like most of our mothers or grandmothers were gardeners. They had their own gardens. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's been lifetimes of disconnect that's taken place in like a single generation, like a single 20, 30-year period. Like yeah. it's, wild, it's wild to think about. This has been in our, you know, in our ancestry forever. Up until pretty much now, absolutely, Joel. But you've got the system right where where it is said that both parents need to work because why? Um, you need to express yourself, so both parents gravitate towards working. There's just less time, more convenience-based meals. Families that have broken away from living in large communities um, and and wisdom of the elders kind of neglected. You know, a lot of the elderly people are institutionalized. A lot of them, rightly so, because their bodies are fragile, so people can't care for them, and it it, it all kind of, kind of comes back to this vicious cycle, mm-hmm. right? The fragility that human beings seeing as we age that we're seeing now is not normal, right? Human beings, yes, of course, we age, and and our skin ages and our bones age, but what we're seeing now is um, it, it is aging on steroids. So we, when you've got the ability of an elderly person no longer to be able to get up from a chair because their proximal leg muscles are weak or their bones are, are paper thin, you've got a system whereby they're no longer functional in society. So they institutionalize, you, you lose all that wisdom. And when you've got both parents working to support these enormous mortgages that these banks lend out for prices of homes that fundamentally overpriced on this Ponzi in this Ponzi scheme, you've got people that just don't have time for help. So we gravitate towards convenience, you know. Um, I'm lucky enough, like my wife doesn't have to work a full-time job or, a, or she's a full-time mother, but she still gardens, you know, she still cares for animals. And I think most people would gravitate towards that should they have the time. And the time is the critical 
missing part of the recipe here. We are no longer able to um, have that time to, to be able to do these things. Yeah. And we've lost great wisdom when, when you think about that ability to garden because that is a critical part of it all. We, we were connected to our food supply, right? We were directly connected. Like, you know, people that used to go out and hunt and that, that would be acceptable. Whereas if you go out now and hunt, you're a misogynist or, or you're cruel to animals, but but people have no problems walking into a supermarket and picking up a steak from, from the aisles. You know, that, that's that disconnect from food that people have uh, got. They believe food comes out of packets uh, from a supermarket rather than going out there and achieving it yourself. And that is a huge part of the problem. Yeah. And I think on top of that, like just the demoralization and the huge propaganda campaign to disconnect us that's taken place means that even if we had the time, I don't think today people would be inclined to want to garden or till the land or farm or hunt because our values have changed. We, we've The system's values have been inserted into our psyche and we're disconnected from what's truly valuable for human health and for human freedom. Absolutely, Joel. I've always said it. You look in the mirror, an individual looks in the mirror or a society looks in the mirror, government looks back at them. That's the reflection, right? That the people are a reflection of the government. And that's a sad thing. We, we've we've forgotten who we are. And that's so evident, you know, like when you look at ancient art, ancient music, um, ancient, ancient architecture, you see the, the soul and the romance of, of all of this versus uh, the modern buildings that we put up, modern art and even modern music. It is just not what it used to be. And uh, that's because that, that we're, we're being robbed of our creative powers, our autonomy and the ability to, to work as a decentralised unit uh, within this decentralised network called the universe. Um, again, centralization does have its benefits, but sadly inbuilt into that equation is the, is the fact that it over time has to wobble and and sadly, the pillars decay. Mm. Yeah, government government God makes man in His image, and man needs to make himself in His image. But man has no idea who he is. Is the issue? Yeah, I, I think I love Graham Hancock, who's the historian. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of him, but he talks about mm-hmm. about our past and that we've just forgotten what humanity was. Um, and what, what we were capable of, and we were capable of great things. We still are capable of great things, but sadly our creative powers are suppressed. You know, that, that even goes for our schooling system. If you're a creative individual um, who's divergent in your way of thinking, you don't necessarily fit in with what society says, that's very quickly stamped out. And a lot of, you know, diagnoses of things like ADHD and, and, and whatnot are labelled on these kids, and very quickly they're just robbed of, of their abilities to be to be creative and uh, it's labelled disruptive when you're not fitting in with the rest of the crowd. Um, and that's a sad thing that we've seen go on as well at a, at a very grassroots level. Yeah, man, we're powerful beyond beyond measure, beyond belief. We, we all have these unique, incredible, inherent creative capacities and it's time to really get back in touch with them um, for sure. And to me, the first step begins with, you know, creating space in your life, within your psyche, um, to allow those things to flourish and to foster. And that that stems to looking at our diet and what we consume on all levels, not just on a on a, on a food level. Um, yeah. Yeah, go, sorry. I'm going to say something real quick. Is a, I think this is why it's so important to get back to the land too, because you talk about creating space. I mean, being outside, mm. you know, being away from your devices, 
Okay, they have their benefits. Technology has has its benefits. It's not all bad. But like when you're alone and you have your hands and your your fingers in the dirt and you're hearing the birds chirping and you and you're feeling the wind blow against your face, it's a different experience. And I think that also is part of the healing process because when you have that space, all that stuff that needs to come up to the surface for you to face as an individual will come up to the surface. And I think that will continue the evolutionary process and bring a person closer to wholeness to do what's necessary to make the image, make himself in his own image. But if you're constant, if you have the matrix in you with the food, with the movies, with the music, mainstream, yeah, it's 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 much more challenging to to know who you are. And so I think that's why nature is such a great healer and getting in the dirt and learning gardening and slowing down can have such an impact on your life. Yeah, well said, um, mate. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't think we can ever disconnect from, from the matrix. I think we exist within the matrix and, and this entire unif- unif- universe, the, the way I believe it is a, is a holographic projection interpreted through our basic senses. So, but but we've got to learn to play within the matrix, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah and its rules and 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 do it in a way which best benefits us uh, from people that that basically write the code. Um, I think it, it really is getting to a point where we need a revolution where where people are able to take responsibility for themselves. But at the same time, most people don't. Most people won't. They they'd rather. Um, I think we 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 are in this silo in this space here and and amongst people like you, me. Um, and and your followers, we, we're people that want to take back responsibility. The large proportion of people would rather outsource responsibility for their health to their to their doctors or, or, or to whoever. But sadly, our industry is not an industry where health is created. It is where disease is managed, and um, that's the issue that that I've had. And this is why I've been kind of out there pushing the message of just take back responsibility. Uh, you do not need a degree to heal. Uh, you can heal yourself. Yeah. Can you talk about the universe or the cosmos as a decentralized system? Um, look, great question, Joel. I mean, I've I've had a few. Um, I've always been obsessed with space. I mean, ever since I was a kid, um, I've, I've just loved space and the unknown and uh, the study of the universe. I, I love the idea of black holes and how light behaves around it. I, I just love everything about the universe. It, it, it's a it's a scary place because it's, because it's a great unknown, but there's something majestic about it. Uh, I, I like nothing better than to be away from cities, away from light pollution, just staring at the Milky Way. And I could do that for hours, you know, uh, at night. Um, in terms of the universe being a decentralised network, what I'm starting to come to the realisation of, a lot of, a lot of scientists talk about it as well, the universe wants us to be conscious so it can be conscious ourselves. So fundamentally, our consciousness is simply a fractal projection, right, um, of the universe. If you look at the way things like like flowers and, and plants grow in nature, there's always a fractal element to it, like one creates another, which creates another, and that's what human consciousness is. And what man is doing at the moment, it's quite interesting to observe, like this drive or this push to create artificial intelligence is man's attempt to crack 
rapidly reproduces consciousness. But to do that, to replicate man's consciousness, it, it's going to be something that, that we will struggle to do. Potentially we'll succeed it in many, many years to come, but at the moment it's still a very basic um, network of consciousness. Um, I, I think the universe wants us to be conscious so she can be conscious. Um, that's that's the simple realisation that I've come to. And, and you can't be conscious if you're plugged into the matrix listening to what the coders want you to believe, right? Because you're, you're having your holographic projection of the universe basically warped by, by people that, that want to subject you to, to fundamental tyranny, to keep you within your cages. Because no one, uh, if you're a greater power ruling power, you don't want your people thinking independently. And uh, that's the sad thing about it. Um, I hope that answers your question, Joel. It's a, it's a complicated question. And I think my words very rare. Uh, do do not do it justice, but it's it's the closest that I can come to to answering you. Yeah, I've got a I've got another question for you. It might not be an answer. Do you in in your study of the gut, do you see a correlation between the universe, space, the cosmos, and what you see within the human body, based on your understanding of space? Absolutely. I think I think the gut is very very uh, guts a very interesting organ because. It fundamentally is is connected not just physically but through pathways that we don't understand to the brain, and I think the brain is is really where where it all where it all occurs. But the interesting thing about the gut is billions of years ago, when we were floating in these primordial oceans where life begins, there was no brain. There was only something called the enteric nervous system. Enteric means gut. So there was a nervous system, a very vestigial, primitive nervous system within the gut. And over time, that separated to this central nervous system. So you, as human beings or as any creature, you've got a central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord and the enteric nervous system. So people often talk of the gut as the second brain. That's wrong. The gut was the first brain, right? And the brain is the second brain. And um, so there's this beautiful connection between the two. People you know, often talk about intuition or gut feeling. They feel it in their gut. I think that's a very elegant way to describe that link. And um, and 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 so, if you think of the gut as a neural um, neural system or a neural structure, then that elegantly links to the universe because, in some ways, that the brain fundamentally is a, a, as I said, a fractal projection of the universe. Um, and to be conscious in this modern world means unplugging from, from the hyperpalatable foods, from, from the stuff they want you to consume, the stuff you see on, you know, social media like TikTok and Instagram and these, you know, 30-second reels that just that really want to stupidify the human being. But we're capable of a lot. I think um, we've forgotten that. Yeah, for sure. Ron, what role, do, what role does consciousness play in health? Because, you know, we can talk about the foods we eat, we can talk about the environment we're in, but uh, what does a person's mindset and the way they think and view themselves, how does that impact their health from your opinion? From your opinion? Yeah, look, great question. A lot of what I see on a, on a clinical level, uh, people are fundamentally on autopilot, right? They get up in the morning, they have their processed grain cereals, which are full of glyphosate and sugar and they drink that with their skim milk and because it's a poorly uh, satiating or poorly satisfying meal at 10 a.m they're hungry again and so they gravitate towards a muffin and a coffee um, and because of the sugar high they get in the morning from the cereal the, the, the sugar drop 
gives them a lack of energy, sleepiness, all this stuff. So they chase that muffin with a coffee to bring the energy levels up. And the muffins are poorly satiating meals, so they're back at it again at lunch, trying to trying to fill up on something. They eat a sandwich, poorly satiating again. Afternoon tea, dinner, dinner's often just pasta and fills you up temporarily. And then they're at it again at dessert. Does that make sense? So the, the, the nutrition ties in with consciousness. Now, if you were truly conscious as a human being, you would understand the the, the battles that we, we've, we've fought to get to where we are, you would understand the rise of man uh, and the climate change in Africa that forced us out of the trees onto the plains, scavenging food. You know, Africa used to be this lush rainforest six to eight million years ago, but massive climate change meant it became an arid uh, territory where trees became far far spaced apart. So forced this, this primitive ape onto the onto the plane. So on this plane, we learned to scavenge. And over time, as our brains grew, as we unlocked things like the fat from bone marrow and stuff from scavenging, we, we learned to hunt. So if you were consciousness, you would understand these concepts. You would understand the importance of the agrarian revolution, which we talked about, and, and the rise of civilization. You would respect your history. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think you would eat in a way that, that respects your history, that, that you understand that soil is an important component of, of nutrition. The plants, the vegetables, and the fruit grown in healthy soil, animals that feed on healthy soil are clearly going to nourish you more. And I think if people consumed food in a way where they were heavily conscious, uh, conscious of, their, of their past and their evolutionary history, we would have a situation where we would value nutrition or nutrients over calories. Calories and and look, I mean, I'm very critical of the calorie in, calorie out model for for um, weight loss and health because it, it 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 is talking about something nonsensical that the calories are everything, but they're not. It's nutrition and nutrients that are everything. Calories are simply a fuel that that your body requires, but you have to have the basic inputs, um, which is nutrition uh, and nutrients, uh, correct first. Um. So, like, obviously, we'd highlight and we talk about the importance of well-raised meat, grass-fed cattle, grass-fed steaks. Um, for the individual that doesn't always have access to the best quality meat, can't get organic grass-fed meat all the time. Um, like, what are, what are your thoughts on settling for a factory farm steak, a Woolworth steak, a restaurant steak, or whatever it might be? Sure. I think feedlot animals, right, especially animals that have spent months and months in feedlots, you can't be a healthy animal, um, you know, and this is the thing with Australia. We don't realise how lucky we are in Australia because the animals spend very little time in the feedlots. They are primarily grass-fed. And most of these animals would be spending 80 to 95% on their li- of their life feeding on these beautiful grasses in Australia, you know, Tasmanian beef has to be some of the best in the world. But that applies to anywhere in, in Australia. Whereas you compare that to places like America, and I'm not having a go at American beef because I've gotten a lot of American ranches offside in the past when I've spoken about it, but where they're spending huge amounts of time in feedlots, consuming grain that is soaked in, in pesticides like glyphosate, mm-hmm. you end up an animal that is, um, that is fundamentally less healthy. So... Grass-fed beef is the norm here in Australia. I mean, you could wander into Woolworths and buy grass-fed beef. Yep. But I have spoken about supporting your local butchers because instead of buying food from a styrofoam 
you know, the container covered in plastic. You, you, if you were to go to your butcher and order that beef mince, say, in bulk, you could buy kilograms at a, at a massively discounted price and that could sustain you for, for many weeks. It's just about sense, being more sensible about how you obtain your food. Um, egg, you know, ground beef isn't that expensive, like, but people would value a grain-fed Wagyu-type steak over, over grass-fed leaner beef. And, and that's what, what kills me. It's actually not that expensive to, to eat healthy. You just need to plan it better, uh, buy it direct from butchers or direct from your farmers, support these small businesses. But people are driven by convenience. They would rather finish work and wander through Woolworths, pick up the piece of meat, go home and cook it, cook it fresh. Whereas if you're freezing your meat and storing it in bulk, you've got to get up in the morning, pull it out of the freezer, plan it, Okay, this is what I'm going to put aside. It'll be defrosted when it comes home. And all that requires planning. People don't have time. Time's a critical part of all of this. Yeah, I think also people don't see the big picture in terms of, oh, I have to invest this large amount in the beginning because I I have a relationship with my farmer and I'm going to go buy a half a steer or a quarter of a steer. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, you're looking at such a such a discount. Like I remember I lived in New York City um, for eight, nine years. And I think now it was what, maybe 13 years ago, I built a relationship with a farmer in in New York. And I was going there and getting a quarter of steer. And like you're getting all these different cuts of beef, ground beef. And it worked out to being like, I don't know what it was, you know, maybe like six, seven dollars a pound, you know, with everything put together. And like you're you're fortunate if you just go to the local market and get like just one pound of ground beef. For six dollars, but you're getting all these other amazing cuts, and when you bring it all together, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. But again, it takes planning. It takes knowledge. You maybe you need to buy a little extra freezer or something to be able to store this. Um, but again, it comes down to value system and what you prioritize. You know, because just even just from a health standpoint, you, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with individuals. Look, I can't buy organic food, or I can't have that ribeye steak. Meanwhile, they have every single monthly payment to every single online thing. They're going out drinking and spending a few hundred dollars, you know, a night, whatever the case may be. You could just add add that list up. And so it, it comes down to what you prioritize and what you value. And each individual is going to have a different answer to that question. Yeah, exactly right. I think that's really well said. But going back to consciousness, I think the more conscious you become about everything around you, the less unconscious your behaviors become. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you, you're just not gravitating towards convenience and hyperpalatability. It is, well, how do I best nourish my mind? So uh, nourish my body so, so my mind remains sharp. And that's what it fundamentally comes down to. Yeah. And even just val- like valuing time in a certain way. Like, of course, just ordering takeout or going out to eat is going to be different than, oh, you know, I want to take some time and I want to I want to cook this meal. But if you have that desire to nourish yourself with this food that either you've hunted or you've grown or you've gotten from a responsible farmer, that's a whole different experience. Now, again, it's, it's not for everybody. You know, it depends on what you want, where you're at, what period of life you're in. But I can speak for myself. Like, I that's a high value for me and it has always been. I would rather spend money on high quality food than all the other bullshit. And that's been something with me for 15 plus years. But other people, they don't feel that way. And hey. It's uh, it's that culture of consumerism that has us gripped. Um, all that advertising, all of the celebrities that kind of push all this out, it, it, uh, it's really critical to unplug from all of that, isn't it? Definitely is, man. Yeah. So I guess we've addressed it 
quite broadly um, in bits and pieces throughout the conversation, but more specifically, how does one begin to unplug? How, do one, how does one begin to claim more responsibility and reclaim more power in their lives and more autonomy? Yeah, uh, I think study history would, would be not just the history that's written by the victors, but, uh, you know, history that 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 is our deep history. I think we have a really good understanding of what human beings are. What do you recommend in that regard? Like if someone said, all right, Doc, I want to study history, point me somewhere. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, obviously what I'm saying would, would um, resonate poorly with people that are creationists, right? Yep. Uh, I'm not a creationist. I've read the Bible and I absolutely adore the Bible. I think it is a book that is written uh, with so much analogy to it and art to it. it, it we interpret something that, that we should be um, uh you know, looking at it from an artistic perspective, we interpret the Bible literally, and I think that is the problem. Um, I think we, we have to put all those biases aside and, and just simply read. I think all it takes is to pick up an encyclopedia to understand where human evolution comes from. I don't think it's hard. The knowledge is out there. It is, it is well established. Um, I think it is really critical to understand the farming revolution, understand why that came about and how that affected us. Remember, I said there were positives and negatives. I think the farming revolution overall was brilliant. I think we, 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 we cannot romanticise it and say it would have been better had we remained hunter-gatherers because that was a difficult life. It is, a, it is a, I mean, perhaps we were happier and all this sort of stuff, but the human consciousness needs to do more. We need to be able to express the beauty of the human consciousness through art and, and film and all of this sort of stuff. We are creative, we're highly creative people, um, a species. So knowledge is everything so history is everything now with regards to how do we unplug from the matrix we have to understand the corporate capture that that the world is grasped under gripped under there's a few companies that control our entire food supply not just that the pharmaceutical industry we've got the medical industry which i believe is also captured and and our governments sadly our governments like we think of our governments as being sub sovereign but really they too are captured by the very corporations that, that have captured each and every individual. Um, and I think unplugging is basically saying, well, I choose not to accept that. I choose to kind of uh, be a little bit more of a sovereign individual. And sovereign doesn't mean that you're rioting. It's just simply that you're, you're quietly unplugging from it and choosing to do things that 99% of the population aren't doing. And people might say, well, that, that, you, that's kind of antisocial. But people have to realise, I think, 90 to 95% of our population, in fact, these statistics are known for America, are metabolically unwell. People are not well. So I think it is no measure, as I think it's a Krishnamurti quoted, mm -hmm. it's no measure of health to be, to be adjusted to a profoundly sick society. I think that's what it comes down to. We, we have to um, stand away from the herd when the herd is sort of rushing at great speed over a uh, over a uh, towards a cliff rise above the herd yo i totally hear you <laughs> it's like we've just been so programmed so conditioned so beaten down to just not trust ourselves we 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 lack discernment on so many levels because we've given power away in so many different ways you know spanning intergenerationally and it's difficult in the beginning because, you know, to trust yourself, it's, it's, 
it's not easy when you've been conditioned with a dysregulated nervous system, bombarded with so much programming, um, unhealthy foods, et cetera, et cetera. But if we can just start looking at our lives, you know, and addressing what's one thing that I can reclaim power over. And it's not going to happen overnight, you know, but if we can work towards it bit by bit, step by step, then that's how you build capacity. That's how you build competence. That's how you grow self-esteem by taking yeah. one small thing back into your own accountability and mastering it and then looking and saying, okay, what's next? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think like I've always been a, a great fan of, of, of weight training, but it doesn't need to be weight training. It could be, it could be running. It could be any form of exercise. It could be cold immersion. It could be swimming. Do difficult things. That's what the human body was built to do. Do physically, physically push yourself to do difficult things. That is what we're meant to do. And push the mind to do difficult things. That that is what we're supposed to do. We were we were we we evolved in this environment that was rapidly changing, quite hostile towards us as well. It's not a romantic system. The environment is a hostile environment that we. Um, it was a cauldron that we evolved in. In animals that were hunting us, whether that's working against us, you know, weather shifts, we had to move. So mentally, we 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 are really built to be challenged. We we're pushed to be challenged. And I think humanity works best when we're physically, mentally, and somewhat spiritually challenged as as well. I think that's when we really thrive. I think weight training is a great start for a lot of people. Not not just becoming more mindful about your diet, but but combining that with weight training, it teaches you to do hard things and um, become addicted to doing difficult things. I think that's that's the pathway to consciousness. Yeah. And the MO of the system is to remove challenges, so, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So to yes. appease everything, make everything as easy as possible. There's no responsibility. And when there's no responsibility, there's no power. There's, there's, such, an aversion, there's such an aversion to pain too. I find yeah. more and more in individuals that just don't want to feel the pain and the discomfort. And like, how do you grow and how do you start beginning becoming more sovereign if you don't know yourself in the deepest levels? If you're constantly distracting yourself away from who you are and self-medicating, I mean, it's not yeah. a good thing. Absolutely. I think you you either familiarize yourself with the pain that is self-driven or if you're not capable of doing that, I think you then prepare for pain that is fundamentally chronic inflammation of your body, bone, skin organs and your mind as well it's either it's either the pain that you self-inflict or the pain of chronic inflammation and that's what society is under the grip of that we're chronically inflamed species sadly yeah it's so interesting and i love that you said that because it's like people spend so much time running away from pain that ultimately leads them to the greatest pain imaginable physically emotionally and spiritually absolutely and then we outsource that healing to people in the in the medical health system which which and the and the system as we know is an industrial complex you know and i've often described it as a triad which is that that for the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry to flourish you need a broken agricultural system right so that that's fundamentally a triangle i think um that industrial complex doesn't want to see people better it, it is such a massive trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar industry um, that that healing, as someone who's self-healing fundamentally becomes a liability on the ledger of such a system. Yeah. This is where I think mind control comes into play is that you have the majority of individuals who can't realize that this complex stays in power 
by them being ill. So why would they be invested in you being healthy? It seems simple and yet difficult to grasp for so many. Yeah, I think I think people want to feel comfortable, uh, mate. I think people want that that feeling of a security blanket around them that that somehow that the governments and these corporations care for them. That's why they produce the goods and produce the protocols and rules that they do. I think the last three years should have shown us that that people want to believe that a higher power cares for them, um, and people are conditioned to yearn for a higher power. I think I think that that, that the human system needs to believe in something. And as I said to you before, I'm not a religious guy. It's not that I'm practicing religiously, but there's an element of spirituality that humans gravitate towards. In the absence of any form of organized religion, the highest authority of that era becomes what they gravitate towards. So these sort of governments fundamentally become the the, the, the temples uh, in, in where they worship these, these rules and protocols that are handed out and mandates that are handed out become the the... the it's like Moses descending from the mountains with these commandments written on these tablets of stone, and that's what it is. These rules the government puts out are the rules by, by which people want to follow because that is what we are. We are conditioned to want to yearn something higher. But I think what we need to teach people is to kind of unplug from that and, and really that higher spiritual self needs to come from within. Uh, I think you need to write your own rules um, on, on, the, on the tablets of your own mind um to to really progress from all of this yeah it's not you shouldn't believe in a higher power but but you should be connected directly to that higher power versus um versus a middleman which in this case seems to be government people outsource that just as they outsource their health to other institutions yeah Yeah, well there's a literal correlation between you know the church, the Vatican, the Jesuits, nobility, and the medical system. And our friend David Whitehead has a great docu-series called Cult of the Medics, which shows how that one morphed into one simply morphed into the other. So you're right, man. The the, the altar simply just changed the way it appears. Absolutely, man. And and it all again goes back. If there's anything that people can take away, it all goes back to money, right? Money is the grease that runs civilization. As I said before, if that is corrupted, it just decays everything. It permeates into every little facet of life. And that's um, what it sadly comes down to. If you, if you talk about those uh, aspects that you talked about before and how it relates to the medicine, the common underlying theme from all of that will be money. And um, we've just got money without backing. No, it's not backed against anything. It has no value. And yeah. uh, if that grease lacks value, then society over time loses values itself, its own inherent values. Yeah. So let me play devil's advocate for you. You know, all right, Dr. Prang, you're telling me it all comes back down to money, but what control do I have over all of that? You know, federal reserves are in place. Central banking is in place. Fraction reserve is happening. How do I, how do I take that information and empower myself with it? How do I, how do I reclaim? How do I use that to, to reclaim what's necessary to move my life forward? Okay, great question. I think if you understand all of that, say you get a grasp of all of that, you'll very quickly see that the, the things that truly hold value have to be tangible. And 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 why do people that that are that are hyper elite, you know, that top 0.0% of the population, why do they go for land? Because it is tangible, because it has use. And I think people ideally in the in the ideal world, and this is perhaps the romantic in me coming out. People should gravitate towards picking up 
you know, small farms. Doesn't need to be big, two or three acres, four acres, with the ability where they can work in that they can actually grow their own food. But that would mean people would need to move out of cities, out, out from these gentrified messes that people tend to gravitate towards. What does that bring? Moving outside, a bit more regional, what does that bring? It brings you not just the ability to produce food on land, it, it, it gets you closer to nature, which is one of the critical steps that we talked about. Yeah. A person living a little bit more regionally, if they step outside at night to witness the Milky Way in all its glory, you see, you see it all laid out before you, you become a lot more connected to the cosmos. Uh, but what do people want to do? They they want to gravitate to the city. They want to live in these high-rise apartments where they sleep at night away from the Earth's magnetic field. Um, it, it just becomes very structured, and that's societal condition. So to answer your very elegant question about what would I do, I would, I would gravitate towards assets that have some tangible uh, value, not cars, not not clothes. I would, I'm talking about real land. Yeah, for sure. And on top of that, you know, the greatest asset, I think, is your own potential to create value, you know, which isn't yeah. even dependent on having to own anything or have anything. When yes. you have something to give, when you cultivate your character and your strengths and your capabilities to create value at any time, any place, anywhere you have something to offer, then that's that's real, you know? Absolutely. I think that's brilliantly said. And any form of any form of art, expression. It fundamentally is tapping into that that universal um, consciousness, um, bringing it out, and then expressing it through whatever creative talents you've got. Whether whether that be through music, art, through words, through poetry, whatever it is, through it's just an expression of yourself um, as a conduit to that to that um, greater consciousness. That's what I believe. Yeah. What what inspires you? Um, that's a great question, uh, Joel. I, I think, to be quite honest, if I was to answer that, I think humanity inspires me. I think we're just, I'm, I'm flabbergasted at, at, at the species that we are. I mean, yes, we've, we've become gluttonous, we've become sloths, we've, we've become, you know, consumers. But when you look at our history and you look at the magnificence of, of what we're capable of, we really are a species like no other. We might be very, very unique in this universe, and that's what inspires me. My my society, my community, uh, the people around me. I'm inspired by them, and um, and and I think we're just capable of so much more. Uh, that's what that's what drives me every day, and this is what a lot of my posts and my podcasts are just all really about. Just empowering yourself. I mean, that might sound cliche, but but I think an individual is able to to sense that 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 beauty and the strength we carry they're capable of some amazing things every single human being is capable of that i believe yeah mm, i echo that completely man and the saddest thing to me is how deeply conditioned we have been to hate ourselves yes yeah. so conditioned into self-loathing into, yeah. into believing that humanity is the root cause of all the problems that exist on planet earth yeah, completely disconnecting from how much value and how much creation, how much beauty, and how much imagination we have brought to the table. You know, like we, whether people like it or not, our consciousness is the pinnacle of conscious evolution. We are the top of the totem pole when it comes to that understanding. And what does that what does that mean to you? If you value anything, how can you not value your own existence? 
How can you not value your own life, your own ability to imagine and to create? Well, it is it is the you guys are aware of the Malthusian uh, theories, right? Malthusian Thomas Malthusian was a, was a was a uh, economist. I think it was in the 1700s. He believed that once humanity increased to a certain point, we would eventually run out of resources and end up collapsing ourselves. So people like um, the people that worry, worry about overpopulation and so forth, the, the Bill Gates, the Greta Thunbergs, all of these sort of individuals that, that say that we are fundamentally destroying the planet because of our numbers. These people are called Malthusians. They've existed for, for a long time, you know, probably for thousands and thousands of years, but more specifically with a title for the last few hundred years. Um, I, I believe these concepts are behind why people end up self-loathing, especially in this era, right? A lot of that generation, the, 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 the younger generation are growing up with the thought that we, our footprint on, on this planet is, is single-handedly responsible for the destruction. Yes, I'm sure we could do things better. I think some of the deforestation uh, to feed consumption um, of useless goods is is absolutely um, debaucherous. But but we we are, as you said, the greatest pinnacle of of consciousness on this planet. The universe wants. Um, we're a masterpiece of that universal um, uh, fragment of consciousness. So I think we should celebrate ourselves and really move away from that mass consumption culture i think that's the way to do it but you know we, the, the society being very very successful in conditioning people to believe that uh, that human beings are, are, are the reason that the planet is is in decay so you get a lot of people that don't even want to procreate you know they don't want to bring a child into this world because they 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 um, and i'm not you know um, knocking anyone's decision whether they have children or not, but a lot of them will not will go against their desire to bring a child into the world because they believe that they are contributing to uh, bringing another human into the world contributes to the uh, to the destruction of the planet. And I think that's a sad state that we've, we've reached. Yeah. Hmm. Somber note. Yeah. No. No. I, I hear you. I, mean, I feel like that's a. Uh, a phrase that a lot of people say when they talk about having kids, like I don't know, if, I don't even know if I want to bring uh, a child into this world. Right. You know, it's, it's Whereas, part of the, yeah, it's it's embedded in the culture now. You know, it's to think about oh, overpopulation, oh, climate change, or oh, whatever it might be. Like fuck, yeah. Six, six years ago, you know, I, I was I was a vegan who thought that you know I didn't want to have kids because of overpopulation, and I thought that was a moral virtue, you know, because. Because morality has been distorted. Our ideas of morality have been collectivized and they've been literally installed in our psyches um, because we're detached from what true morality is. And uh, true morality is how much you value your place in your own life because how much you value your life determines the quality of the choices that you're going to make not only for yourself but for the life of everyone else as well. And we don't live in a society that promotes the value of human life. Imagine, imagine watching the news and hearing good stories, seeing great virtues, seeing great heroic acts, seeing great accomplishments, constantly being fed into all the eyes and ears of the watchers and listeners, you know, but it's simply not the case, man. It's, it's backwards. And it's because the people that are spreading those stories and who are sharing that news, they're the ones that fucking hate themselves and they want us to be like them. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think tyranny basically comes down to the ability not to love, 
right? It's these people are searching for love, um, and and you know, and uh, it's sad that 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 they feel that the only way to achieve that is through oppression. Um, it really is. It 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 just comes down to to not having and not feeling that warmth, love, and it's just so sad that it's become a cycle. Yeah. This is a good chat, gents. Mm. Thank you, fellas. It's uh, it's been enjoyable. It's been enjoyable, I think, to verbalize some of the thoughts that, that that have been in my mind for the last few few months to weeks. So I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to kind of um, to to verbalize some of the stuff that's been going on in my head. Of course, man. This is so important to have these kinds of conversations and these dialogues and. And I mean, I think we're all in the same boat in our own ways where we're we're challenging the status quo. We're realizing there's another way to live. There's another way to be. Um, and uh, we want more people to be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think, you know, it is what's driving you guys in some way is that um, is, is love for humanity. I mean, you want to share what it is you guys have discovered with with um other people you know and that's i think that's a fantastic thing you guys are doing and it's a service to humanity um i think joel talked about what is morality it's about being self-empowered but one aspect of morality that i think is important is actually just service to humanity i think you've got to provide a service that is of true value to to people that can be listen that can be monetized and you can still profit from it but it has to there has to be true value attached to it rather than just going through the motions you have to give a little bit of yourself uh to all these people that you're trying to touch for sure but it's impossible if you don't value yourself you Mm -hmm. can't possibly value humanity otherwise i don't think absolutely i think that's a core uh pillar to 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 what you're describing so for anyone listening, like if there's one single next step that you could implore an individual to take to move us onto the right trajectory and in the right direction, like what would that be? Excellent. Like let me talk about it from a health perspective, right, Joe? Like as a, as a, as a doctor, yeah. I won't step outside any other boundaries. I think um, we've, we've, um, we've had a discussion um, that that's almost a, uh, renaissance discussion right amongst the three of us because we've touched on so many broad topics but let me bring it back to what i was trained in what i believe myself to be good in with regards to to improving your health just understand that that soil is critical okay so i just want every single person to know where their food comes from generally if you're gravitating towards foods that are mass-produced coming from packets this is this is all a product of factory farming and this monocrop culture these dystopian views of fields upon rows and rows of 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 plants that are identical stretching as far as the eye can see that does not exist in nature what you need is diversity right you need food that's been grown in diversity in soils that are diverse that's step number one. Once you understand and you value where your food comes from, you will naturally gravitate towards your organic grocers, your butchers, your farmers that are doing direct to plate. That's a step one in, in improving your health. You, you improve the inputs going into your body. The outputs are going to improve. So exercise generally follows on from that. You're almost compelled as your body is, is healing itself 
to to um, to want to exercise. We need the second thing we need to do is understand that the light environment that which we're in, that we're immersed in with this white lights with our phones and and computer screens and so forth, may not necessarily be all that healthy for us. Additionally, understand the importance of things like Wi-Fi, maybe switching off the Wi-Fi at night, understanding these electromagnetic um, signals also potentially could interfere with, with our bodies. So immersing ourselves in a little bit of that nature um, is important. Just go for a walk, just appreciate nature is, is critical. Unplug from devices once in a while because um, whilst they've got their advantages, there's certainly some, some disadvantages that, that come with them. I think exercise is the final step in all of that. I think that that naturally follows once your body starts healing. You, you, you're compelled to want to go out there and move rather than sort of dragging yourself into gym with um, into a gym or, or to work out with with um, with inadequate inputs into the body. That those inputs have to be right for the outputs to be um, to be of anything um, to be of any substance. That's a very basic uh, view of what yeah. I think. Job. I well think said. basics are important, man. Thank you. Yeah. Man. Um, anything that you'd like to leave our audience with in terms of where you'd like to direct them? You know, do you have a website, Instagram, any anything you're offering at the moment? Um, yeah, sure. I, I think we've we've touched on on most things, Joel. Like I tend to put out blogs um, on my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Identical across all those mediums. Um, we'll see how long I, I get allowed to post there. Uh, I'm, I think I've been shadow banned for, a, for the last couple of years, which is uh, especially on Instagram, which is really um, which has um, slowed my growth down. But I don't really do it for that anyway. I just do it to get my message out, and I think the right people that 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 should hear it are hearing it. Um, my handle is Dr. Pran Yoga Nathan um, on across all three of those mediums. So I'm happy for people to to, to follow that and. And uh, listen to what I've got to say in my mind. I tend to put out fairly frequent content there. Awesome. Definitely, definitely recommend Dr. Pran as a high value follow. Certainly. What can I say, man? Um, it's such an honor to have had this conversation with you. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you stand for. I appreciate what you put out there and just the role that you're playing, man. Um, and thanks so much for being here and having this chat with us. No problem, Joel. And I appreciate you both having me on. It's a, it's a real pleasure. And I'm happy to do it again at some point later on. Sounds, Sounds good, good man. man. Much respect. All the best to you. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Everyone you. else, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. What an awesome conversation. What a fucking good dude who is inside the system, but he's making the choices. He's speaking out. He's raising awareness. He's playing his part. And I love that. Um, thank you so much for listening. Right before we go, just want to remind everybody the applications for Rise Above the Herd, our eight-week group coaching program for truth seekers are now open. If you want to become the best version of yourself and see how potentially we can help you accomplish that, then head to riseaboveheherd.co and learn more about it. Be well. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward an evolution to a place where we can shed our confusion. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with confusion.